Okay, we're back. The nature of things. Uh, we survived episode one, and so we're doing another episode. How do you feel about that, Peter? I feel awesome. Uh, in fact, I've heard that more than one person other than me and Tom listened to the last episode, so that's pretty cool. So thank you for at least that one other person, and if there's more of you out there, um, great, thanks. I, I don't know what compelled you to listen, but let's hope we don't lose you in this episode. Keep it up. So, the nature of things, if you're just uh, listening for the first time, um, I'm Tom, Peter is Peter, and we uh, gather over the internet to discuss some um, big life question to get at the nature of things. Um, usually it's a pretty freewheeling, shoot from the hip kind of discussion, and uh, I think since it's Friday, since we're feeling good, since life seems to be inordinately busy right now, um, you'll expect more of the same from today's episode, don't you think, Peter? Oh, absolutely. We have not prepared whatsoever, so let's roll. Excellent. Um, so Peter and I know each other, uh, having lived together for a number of years back in college, uh, but you guys might not know us as well. Um, so we started out the first episode with a sort of icebreaker, get to know you type question, and we'll do that again. So uh, Peter, what's this week's icebreaker question? Uh, so this week's question is, if you could have any sort of useless superpower, what would it be? So we're not talking Superman here. We're talking like like minor, minor abilities. Okay. Uh, hopefully amusing. So what do you got? Good question. Um, I did this with my students a couple of years back as sort of like a beginning of the school year. Um, funny icebreaker question, and I'm I'm trying to remember some of their answers. But one that that stuck with me, um, that that I think resonates with me is I would be okay with having the superpower or ability to levitate, but only like five or six inches off the ground. Mm, so mm. like no no higher than I could just jump. Right. This kind of reminds me of another one of these that I had heard once, where you can fly, but only while you're on an airplane. <laughs> so you can impress like the other passengers and maybe the flight attendants, but you really can't do much with it. <laughs> That's an excellent one. I like that. I like that. I think um, I don't. I don't know if this classifies as a superpower. Uh, so feel free to shoot this one down. But I think it'd be really cool to be really, really good at climbing trees. Mm, yeah, I think just, like bouldering, sort of but just a return like, like, to our evolutionary roots. <laughs> suppose so yeah like if i could just like kind of like take in a tree like look at it you know kind of scout out the the handholds and everything and then just like clamber on up mm. yeah that would be just pretty chill cool up there for a while um so either that or levitating just a little bit off the ground so one that i'd always thought of for myself was that you can breathe fire but it doesn't go past the edge of your mouth so like so, you can like toast like? a marshmallow inside your mouth kind of thing, <laughs> uh, but you can't like you know burn down your apartment building. Okay, sort so of it's, a it's, built-in safety feature. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Like when you close your mouth, there's no like, or when you open your mouth, the fire stops. Yeah, right, right. Okay, or it stops. Great. It stops at the edge of your lips, kind of thing. So if you were to like yawn. You know, you could accidentally let out, like, if someone just happened to watch you yawn, they could see <laughs> something pretty remarkable, like, yeah, yeah. just a little blaze inside your <laughs> as you're yawning. That's right, that's right. Yeah. There was actually, I heard about a real-life useless superpower, where really? a uh, a graduate student in entomology, so he studies insects, uh, accidentally ingested some kind of moth pheromone. Oh my gosh. And apparently this moth pheromone wasn't really digestible. And so what happened is that for years, he would like excrete this moss, moth pheromone through his feet. And just what? hundreds of moths would congregate at his feet. <laughs> <laughs> so oh like, So like literally, I mean, totally, completely useless. Uh, <laughs> but he was just like the moth whisperer. The moth whisperer, but only at his feet. <laughs> that's i mean you know this world is full of surprises yeah it's beautiful i want to yeah. meet this guy has, has i know he, right has, he, has it been remedied like i think i think after some yeah ago. i think after some years 
kind of all of the moth pheromone that he had ingested was gone. Oh, and so okay. the so moth stopped. Like sweated it out. Yeah, basically. What do you think the situation was in which he first kind of noticed that a bunch of moths were just gathering at his feet? I have no. Like, I mean, he, it's was he lying be... in bed one night? He, <laughs> yeah, imagine if up. you have a bug problem in your apartment and then oh, you just wake up one morning and near the foot of the bed are just hundreds of moths. <laughs> <laughs> that is a real life useless superpower. I mean, I've never heard of anything like that. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty useless, but kind of super. Yeah, emphasis on the super, less on the power in that case. Yeah, um, yeah. That is beautiful and, and <laughs> leads us nicely into today's question. Uh, <laughs> Does it? By which, by which I mean on a completely unrelated note. Um, Peter, today's question, um, which... I have a bit of a backstory for, but the, but the the question is why does a wheelbarrow only have one wheel? And we can get into the um, bigger ramifications of this question, but the backstory is um, a few months back, uh, my fiance and I were going to see a movie called The Lighthouse. Have you heard ah, of this movie? Right, 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 right. Yes, this is the one where he struggles enormously with a wheelbarrow. Yes, yeah. So it's 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 a wild movie, and and I won't get too sidetracked on how freaking insane it is. But uh, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe are the two main characters. In fact, they're the two the only two characters in the movie. But they're lighthouse Robert keepers. Pattinson is the vampire boy from uh, Twilight. From Twilight. Right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and he's in one of the Harry Potter movies and now I think he's maybe tried to distance himself from that image because he only does like very strange movies that mm. are kind of mind bendy, including okay. the lighthouse. Okay. But so Robert Pattinson's a lighthouse keeper and it's do on they, this, you know, do they play Chris Tewey's uh, lighthouse tale? Oh, the nickel, the nickel Creek song. Nickel Creek um, song. No, it's a period mm. piece. So oh, it takes okay, okay. place okay. back in, you know, probably like the late, 19th century okay um you know like like m post moby dick but okay. pre yeah, yeah. like royal caribbean cruise liners i, I guess back okay. when they dude this is a dumb question on my part are lighthouses still in use i don't i'm, I'm gonna guess yes because air traffic towers okay like still yeah. have lights on them so you don't crash your airplane into a tower <laughs> there is still a conceptual need for light as a source of navigation yeah so i'm gonna guess yeah. yes but i also have no idea okay cool well i said we wouldn't get sidetracked and yet here we are um here so we are. okay the long and the short of it is robert why pattinson, are we talking about this yeah robert pattinson's character in this movie is on this just like stormy rock of a lighthouse station and he had to kind of shuttle things to and from his house to the actual lighthouse itself, his like quarters to the lighthouse. And he's just constantly throughout the movie just struggling mightily with the wheelbarrow that he uses to transport stuff. It's constantly like tipping over or slipping away from him. And while I was completely enthralled in the movie, a little voice in the back of my head said, like, he should get another wheel on that wheelbarrow. It yeah. would make his life so much easier. <laughs> And so then I was like, well, wait, why did we just stop at the one wheel? Um, and so the bigger question here is one about um, technological progress, uh, for lack of a better term. Although I think it applies more broadly to just like human progress, which is something we talked about in our um, previous episode. But but here's just the, the big question I'll pose to you first. Um, are there any things that we built a long time ago that we sort of reached the ideal version of it back then. As in, we just like perfected the, the shovel or the wheelbarrow a long time ago, and there was no need to fix it, and it is good as is. Um, or, relatedly, is there some kind of imperative that we have to kind of constantly be tweaking, improving, seeing if we can do something better, and we can get into what, it might mean to do something quote unquote better, like what metrics you use to define that. But um, yeah, do you, do you think we have some kind of obligation or is it in our best interest to kind of keep tinkering with things? Or is there a point where we say, actually we were, you know, in pretty good shape? Well, I think there's definitely some things that we say are like good enough. And the archetypal one is the wheel. Yeah. Right. Don't reinvent the wheel. Sure. Uh, yeah. 
we've you know it's kind of the way you say like look it's round it rolls like there really isn't a better way to do it as far as we know as far as we know um, yes yes the point the point stands um and i think you know there's there's uh how do i say this i think there are other technological things though where that's not the case um i'm trying to remember the most recent example of this that i've seen but i think in general you can kind of imagine like if you're trying to maximize something you can get stuck in what we often call like a local maximum and so in order to go ahead and define a local maximum so a local maximum means that like you're the best you can be in a nearby area. So like a local maximum, to give a geographical example, is you're standing at the top of a hill. But you're not on the top of Mount Everest, right? You're not okay. at the global maximum. You're just at your local maximum. Right. And in fact, to get to the top of Mount Everest, the first thing you have to do from where you are is go down. Okay. So you got because you got to get to the bottom of Everest to climb back up. Exactly, you got to get to the bottom of your hill before you can go walk over to Everest. And so, when you're trying to optimize things, it's really easy to get stuck and say, "Okay, well, everywhere that I look from where I am right now is worse. Hmm. So this must be the best." Interesting. But actually, yeah. there could be a place kind of far away that's much better. But you have to go to a worse place first to get there. You have to start over, basically. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and so I think this applies, you, you know, we could talk about whether or not this applies to people, but I think it definitely applies to technology. Okay, is there like, an, like, a, like a handy example you have in mind? Um, well, okay, okay, so like an easy one is um, with old computers, they mm -hmm. used uh, vacuum tubes right as your logical elements and now we use transistors but they built pretty sophisticated computers out of vacuum tubes and then when the transistor comes along it's like well now you have to redo all your infrastructure mm -hmm. uh the the old stuff that was compatible with vacuum tubes just doesn't work anymore and so everything has to be rebuilt from the ground up to use this new transistor but the result is now we can all have computers in our pockets Whereas a single vacuum tube might be the size of your smartphone. Right. Um, so okay. that's kind of... And, and is this a trajectory we're headed in terms of like quantum computing? Where it's like this is sort of the next frontier of like, yes, we can do way more powerful and important things with this sort of theoretical frontier that we're trying to strive after. That's an interesting question. So for anyone listening uh, who doesn't know, did we cover this in the last episode? Um, what, quantum computing? No, no. I'm a physicist out in Boulder, and oh, yeah. Tom is an English teacher in Nashville, um, just so people know. So we have tons in common. Yeah, so we're really the same person. Precisely. Um, uh, but no, quantum computing is interesting because I don't think anyone knows if it's going to work. Um, oh, okay. So people definitely a, claim that it will. Yeah, but from a like um, analogy standpoint, mm. that's the idea. Is like the transistor is the sort of local maximum we're at right now. Right, but there's computational power. Right, but there are other kinds of things like a quantum bit mm -hmm. um, or a quantum transistor that would let us, yeah, go way further than we could right now even though it would require building a new infrastructure. Right. So there is an argument to be made for the idea that reinventing the wheel, in the case of, you know, a vacuum tube computer versus a transistor computer, is good and is has, has led to uh, some kind of net positive or efficiency yeah. gain or something like that. Or at least without defining the metric yet, that this technology is better than the old one. Mm -hmm. um, before we go into what like what what a better technology means, and I have some ideas about that, but I'm curious yeah. to hear yours. What's most interesting to me about technological development 
is how much of it occurs as a result of the conditions surrounding it. So here's what I find most interesting. Okay. Is that um, things aren't necessarily built to be optimal. They're built to work with what's around them. And that sounds mm -hmm. kind of intuitive, but what's amusing is that, for example, uh, streets were built to be about as wide as two carriages. So one carriage could pass by another carriage. Um, and then a carriage is built to be about as wide as it was because you could have two horses pulling it. Mm -hmm. So then, okay, once carriages are replaced with cars, cars are built to be about the size they are so that they can fit on a regular street. Right, because we've already paved the or built the roads carriage width. Right. Or two, two carriage width, yeah. Two carriage width, and so now you want to build a one carriage width car so that it can go, you know, can have two cars pass each other on the street. Mm -hmm. And then you have an interesting thing where the space shuttle is constructed so that it can fit on a road that's two lanes each way so you can get the space shuttle to the launch site. But what huh. that really means is that we built the space shuttle so that it's the width of like eight horses. <laughs> yeah. Right, which it's kind of absurd. It's like, is eight horses really the optimal width for a space shuttle? Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. guess it, <laughs> is There's, this even... There'd be no way of knowing because we just had to build it so that we could move it. Right, like, exactly. And so, you know, when you're talking about measuring space shuttles in terms of the width of horses, it seems like you're not even talking about the right domain, but that's... That's, that's the where sort we of, find ourselves. That's where we find ourselves is this strange place where we're building something to go to space based on what's available, and what's available was built around something totally unrelated. That's so fascinating. It's hard to believe that we're at like that global maximum, you know? There's probably a right. better width. Yeah, and but there's because of decisions that we had to make centuries ago. Like we can't undo that, you know, like we can't. No, yeah, yeah. This is where we are. Yeah, that's a very interesting idea. I mean, I, I, I feel that locally here in Nashville because there's a um, really big problem slash discussion around the issue of public transit. Nashville is becoming sort of mm. like horrifically notorious for having really bad traffic. Mm. Um, are you guys as bad as Atlanta yet? Well, I don't know about that. I, uh, I I think that Atlanta is sort of the cautionary tale that people right. try to avoid, and not yeah. to, not to not to rag on Atlanta. It's a good sorry, city, Atlanta. But, we love you, but your traffic yeah, is terrible. Very true, and I think they would admit that almost with pride. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, probably. But um, plus, Atlanta's got so many more cool things because there are so many more cool people. Um, mm -hmm. Regardless, uh, this this segment of the podcast brought to you by the Atlanta Chamber of Commerce. Um, <laughs> Can we get a sponsorship from them? Well, uh, yeah, I'll look into it. They sponsor um, movies. Oh, yeah, because they, yeah, it's like, hey, come shoot your film in Atlanta. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Nashville having that issue simultaneously is also infamous for being really not pedestrian or biker friendly. Right. And so many of the, like, neighborhood roads, uh, because Nashville was never designed to be a big city, like a big metropolitan area. It, it like the the city is kind of stuck because it's like we don't even have the like shoulder width on any sides of our roads to build sidewalks mm, or accommodate right. a bike lane or I see I see get a bus down it you know right um so it's like yeah we sort of made our bed but not because of any sort of like poor decision but just because that was the nature of things. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I um, have I talked to you at all about this uh, nonprofit called Strong Towns? I don't think so. Yeah, it's a really interesting nonprofit. They're based on just like, or the the their whole mo is to try to build places that are good for people. Um, right. And it's interesting. They've talked a lot about uh, what you're talking about, where you're like trying to retrofit. Uh, mm -hmm. things for whatever you're trying to do with them now. Um, and I guess that's to some extent the problem uh, that we're talking about. And if anyone's interested in this, like as far as cities go, I definitely recommend Strong Towns. But as far as technology goes, 
I think this question of like, are we at an optimum is really intimately linked with this idea of retrofitting. Like, let's say you buy a new, uh, a new computer. Okay, that's nice. But it doesn't plug into your wall. Right. It's a problem. It's useless to you because it doesn't fit in with like the infrastructure you already have in your house. Yeah. Um, and you could rewire your entire house to use your fancy new computer. Just to accommodate one computer. But that seems maybe excessive. Um, or is it? Maybe the question we're trying to ask here is like, how should you decide if you want to try to go through that local minimum to get to a global maximum. Yeah. It's like, um, it reminds me of, you were talking about cities and the way they are built. There, I, I, um, if I had done any research to prepare for this episode, I may have looked this up, but there are some cities, I think in Europe, some of these kind of old but major sort of metropolitan areas where uh-huh. they are they are banning cars on yes. certain streets. Yes, Oslo, I think, has done this, actually. Okay, yeah. And so there's that kind of interesting notion of we did this, but we need to change this. Like, we need to get fewer cars on the road to reduce traffic congestion and to reduce um, carbon emissions and this, that, and the other. And so... And I think it helps sort of, reduce uh, fatalities as well. You know, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, make a safer uh, a safer uh, city. Right. So it's, it seems to me, and maybe this is why I brought this question up, is that it seems like we're in this kind of cultural moment where we are undoing a lot of stuff. Oh, that's an interesting idea. We've kind of okay. reached a point where we're like, oh, okay, this worked for a while, but it does not work anymore. Like, interesting. Our cities are too crowded. Why on earth does everyone feel like they should all each have their own car? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, why, why are our cities um, spread out when we could use a lot less landmass and build up or, or vice right. versa, you know? Um, and I just, yeah, it seems to me that we're in this kind of situation where we are undoing a lot of things. And maybe that's why I wondered in the first place, like, should we have been just like, you know, tinkering and tinkering and tinkering and improving all along or, or, or should we have just we have started with two wheel, two wheel wheelbarrows? Yeah. I mean, what if the guy had just said, it makes more sense to me to have two wheels here? I guess yeah. there's also probably, this is more of a necessity as the mother of invention. Like you were saying, like when someone goes out to build some new thing, they're not thinking I'm going to, create the greatest possible version of this for any circumstance like there's no way that the the, like the person who first had a two-horse carriage was just like this is great i can travel more quickly and more stably with two horses right what's interesting to me is that uh being in science i see uh see that sometimes actually where people say we're going to create the greatest instance of this there's ever been Mm -hmm. and that's as a first step, usually a very bad idea um, right. because you don't know what all the problems are and each one of them comes to bite you in the ass individually. Yeah. Um, so you either end up having to undo a lot of stuff or you sit there theorizing about all the possible externalities that could go into interfering with this thing being the very best of its kind. Right, and then you account for all of those, and you still get bitten in the ass by that one yeah. thing you didn't think of. Right, you know. So I think I think um, tinkering, as I can see, is definitely the way to go. But what did you mean by like should we have been tinkering the whole time, or like should we have been more circumspect? Um, I guess there's probably a um, commercial uh, and consumerist bent to my thought process here okay if you talk about a widget and supply and demand and selling widgets and all of that sort of thing sure it's in your interest to make a better version of something or maybe just the new model of something um to generate interest in the latest and greatest or i see 
beat out your competitor because you have this fancy new bell or whistle on your widget um, where someone else doesn't. Um, mm. The kind of two operative examples that, that jump to my mind are, of course, Apple sort of being notorious for that forced obsolescence idea right? where eventually your old iPhone will just quit or your old computer will just quit. Or you um, can't use the old cord. Anymore. Right. Yeah. Or you can't use the old charger. Yeah. Or, or the new operating system um, doesn't support whatever version of Microsoft Word you have downloaded on your computer or whatever it is. Right. So they, right. and then very conveniently, the new model is out and it's, you know, $1,700 and there you go. You kind of have no choice. Um, right. So I guess at this point, it seems like we've been dancing around this for a while. What does it mean for a new technology to be better? Okay. Yeah, because maybe maybe the new operating system is just better and you would be a fool not to use it. Yeah. So so what is what do we mean? What what's what comes to mind when we say that a technology is better? Yeah. There's a couple things that that um come to mind. Uh the first would be I guess like just computing speed, computing power. Okay. Um, you know, maybe the new operating system can like stream Netflix at a kind of perfect resolution or something. But on a, I don't, I don't know. But on a broader level, I mean like yeah. a wheelbarrow has no computing power, right? Like <laughs> true. Yeah. In what way could we say that a two-wheeled wheelbarrow is better or worse than a one-wheeled? Yeah, so I guess if it if it can whatever its stated purpose is, if it can do that thing more conveniently or efficiently or with kind of a greater return. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that makes so sense. A, two, a two-wheeled wheelbarrow um, checks those boxes, I think, because you're not struggling with like accidentally tipping the thing over and dumping all of the stuff out of your wheelbarrow every... Um, you know, 15 feet if you're a lighthouse keeper in 19th century Massachusetts. <laughs> um, you know, so, and and then, like, the newest um, Mac OS operating system, you know, maybe it, this is where my sort of technical know-how really um, dips a little bit, but, you know, maybe it has more RAM, so you... Um, your computer is faster at summoning things, files or sure. um, cached, you know, websites or whatever it is, um, so that you can just navigate around things more quickly. If you have a business task, you can you can pull up files more quickly. You can you know um, send things to each other more quickly. Do all that sort of stuff. So in that maybe it stores more photos in the cloud or whatever. But yeah, maybe it's that convenience or efficiency or output right and i think the other thing the other word that i would have used uh with what you those few descriptors is capability okay elaborate on what you mean by capability well like if it can do more okay so let's, let's say you know your old ipod plays music but the new ipod also plays music videos Mm-hmm. So now it's it's a little bit better because it can do more things, new features. Yeah, new features. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I think I guess if I if I had to go with with what makes a technology better, I would say like you had said, it either solves its intended problem more efficiently, or it can solve more problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To me, those two things are what, what make a technology better. Yes, yes, absolutely. And here is the interesting question. And, and I think this is um, where we can kind of take one of two divergent paths here. Um, mm. What you very interestingly just described there is a piece of technology or a wheelbarrow or whatever, some, some unit that solves a problem. Right. Right. It has a stated purpose to help you do a task uh-huh. um, or make your work easier. Uh-huh. 
So then my question after that, since that seems to be part of the working definition of a better technology, is what about those so-called technologies that aren't even remotely oriented toward problem solving? Like what? The thing that comes to mind for me first is social media. Mm. I don't. You don't think that's think, solving a problem? Well, I, that's, I think, where this question has been sort of subconsciously cooking in my head because what I've asked myself and what I've asked friends really in the past few months is just like, are we at a net positive societally because of Facebook? Ah, um, but okay. I think you're... Okay, okay. And, that, and that, that feels like I'm putting a cart this cart way before the horse. Like we're, right. we're maybe not there in the discussion yet. But I think but, we should get there. Yeah, because that's what I wonder is like, I can see the benefits of social media on paper um, in terms of connecting people and, and doing all sorts of great similar purposes, but the sort of um, abuses that have come as a result of people constantly tinkering with that system and those systems being built with engagement and uh, profit gain in mind right? has, has the, has the, um, downside outweighed the improvement in terms of better technology as we have defined it. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to, trying to think of which, which part of this to address first. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot in there. So this there's might... a lot in there. So what I would start by saying is that a technology, when we use the word, when I use the word better, and I don't know if you'll agree with this, I'm not necessarily using it in a moral sense. Okay. Um, I'm kind of redefining the word better to mean something specific with technology. I see okay. technology okay. as an amoral thing. Okay. Elab yeah, explain that a little bit. So uh, to me, technology is a, in, in, some sort of, in some sense, it's a tool in that like a hammer a hammer is a technology but it's not good or bad sure okay when we use when we say this is a good hammer we mean that it does its job well yeah yeah fair enough but if you use a hammer to go break someone's kneecaps you're still being a bad person yeah. even if you use a good hammer to do it <laughs> Is that the tagline of our of our podcast right there? I kind of like it. I don't know. Yeah, Let's, I hope we write this. I'll, I'll write it down when I'm listening back to to do the editing. But using um, good tools to do bad things. Yeah, exactly. I mean, okay, yeah. So so I I I hear what you're saying in terms of the the tool itself. Um, we ought to evaluate its goodness or betterness, not on its not on the intent of the designers of the instrument, but instead on just how it does what it purports to do. Yeah, if we're talking about the tool. And I think the, the way that this conversation, to me, always gets confused is that we use the same word for the quality of the tool and also the moral outcome. Yeah. Right, so we're saying, oh... We want a good outcome, which is a moral thing. Like you're wondering, is social media harming society? Right. And then we use that same word good to define the tool. And we say, oh, no, it can't be good if it has a bad result. Yeah. It's like, well, we're using a word with actually two very different meanings. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's usually how I see this conversation shake out. Right. Right. So, so then it comes down to, I think you could say, so, so if we, if we want to go here as well, your hammer analogy reminded me of the whole guns don't kill people, people kill people. Right. Oh, interesting. Debate. Um, and. Oh, actually, I think this is an excellent place to go. So let's, yeah, let's, yeah, let's yeah, go yeah. with this. So where, where are you going to take that first? Cause I have something nice for this actually. Yeah. Um, I think because of where we've gotten in terms of the firearms uh, 
prevalence in society, at least in American society. And for what in, it's worth, culture. for what it's worth to the audience, uh, Tom and I both grew up in the South. Right, um, right. So Tom's from Tennessee. I'm from Alabama. We've both seen our fair share of firearms. Yeah, and have used them and, and, and all that fun stuff. Only for right. good purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As we, as we are describing them. Take note. Um, that's right. But, okay, so so for the, for the gun, excuse the pun here, but it's become such a loaded uh, <laughs> instrument. I know, I know. Thank you. I'll see myself out now. This has been the nature of things. Good night. <laughs> um, but I think I think the gun is probably the very thing that you are describing where we cannot separate the um, usefulness of the tool from the um, kind of moral determination of the use of that tool. Yeah, so there's an excellent essay that I read a long time ago that really clarified my thinking on this. Okay. Um, and it's by Francis Bacon. Um, oh, yeah, old school. Yeah, old school. Uh, you know, people often credit him with being the developer of the scientific method. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a really great collection of essays called The Wisdom of the Ancients. Okay. And one of them is about Daedalus. So Daedalus is the father of Icarus. Of Icarus, right. Uh, the, you know, the boy who flew too close to the sun. And so the story of Daedalus is very interesting. Um, so Daedalus kind of gets his start in a very, how do I say this, in a very odd way. Um, there's a woman whose name is escaping me um, who is cursed by Hera, Zeus's wife. Mm-hmm. This woman is cursed to lust after a bull, like a male cow. Yeah. Is it Io? Uh, is oh, that it the could, woman's name? It might be Io. I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I've forgotten. But My classical training is failing me. Yeah, for real. Anyway. Um, but so she's cursed to lust after this bull. But she's a human woman, and the bull is a cow, and so right. it wants nothing to do with her. Yeah. So Daedalus is commissioned to make for her a bull costume, a mechanical bull costume <laughs> that she, that she like, wears so that this bull will have sex with her. Sure. And the progeny of this is the Minotaur. Okay, yeah. Right, so... The one that designs the labyrinth? Right, and so... Daedalus? Exactly. So what's happening in this story is exactly that. So... This woman lusts after a bull, but nothing can come of it until the technology of this mechanical bull costume enables her to have sex with this bull, which creates this horrible monster, the Minotaur. And what's the only way to deal with the monster is more technology, the labyrinth. And to deal with the labyrinth, no one knows how to get through it, and so Daedalus invents the clue. And the clue is what lets you get through the labyrinth. And then he invents the concept of a clue? No, it's it's like a particular like string device oh, okay. that oh, lets right, you... Yeah. Um, the guy who... It's not Jason, is it? Who is able to trace his way through the, the labyrinth? Oh, man, it might be. Um, Whatever. Wow, I've really... Uh, Really dropped off in this we're, uh, we're a, classics we're bit, here. We're a bit rusty on our freaky Greek mythology. Yeah. But please, continue. Right, so... There's this sort of bad desire that this woman has that was given to her by Hera. And she's unable to act on it until technology enables her to. Hmm. And then in order to solve the problem that technology created, you need more technology. And to solve the problem that technology creates, you need more technology. And so King Minos, I think, realizes this at some point and says, I'm going to lock this dude away. He is just doing nothing but creating problems. Yeah. So he logs Daedalus up. And what does Daedalus do? He builds wings for himself and he flies out of his prison. Mm-hmm. And his son, Icarus, yes, dies. But Daedalus does not. Um, and so, at least according to Francis Bacon's discussion of this myth, 
the idea is that technology can enable things that were not possible before. Okay. And those things could be good or bad. Right. So like you're talking with the guns where you're saying, you know, it's difficult to separate this technology from its, from, from these outcomes of people getting killed. Um, That's what, that's what Bacon is talking about here um, is that technology is really enabling, um, but it doesn't just enable the bad, right? If we think about uh, polio vaccination, yeah. Um, or like the fact that smallpox has been eradicated. Like these are things that technology enabled that people would call good. Right. Um, and so what's really interesting is that um, technology like expands our capacity to do things, both good things and bad things. Right. Okay. So would is is Bacon's sort of endpoint there that you just kind of take the bad with the good? Not exactly. Maybe, maybe he doesn't come to that conclusion, but is that the conclusion that we ought to come to? I don't think so. Um, okay. And and Bacon has something to say about this. And so his his position is that you should design society in such a way, or you should have the kind of society that encourages technologists to work for the good of society. Okay. Because if you do something like try to say no technology or lock lock up the technologists, they will basically use their technology to defeat you and then, like Daedalus, go to a place that's more favorable to them and build their technology there. Yeah. I mean, and that is borne out in like modern global markets, right? I think so. Um, and so I think, you know, for a few hundred year old essay, this is pretty insightful yeah. onto the the nature of technology and technological improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if we were to bring it back to guns again, the question is, you know, how how can this technology be beneficial for society? Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, this is this is not my wheelhouse, honestly. Like, sure. as far like in a policy perspective, because I think a lot of people would say, like, well, many countries have actually had a lot of success. Uh, you know, just like banning guns entirely, right? Um, and so I don't, I don't really know the answer to that exactly. Um, do you have any more thoughts on this? I suppose I do. I'm, I'm trying to gather them. I think you're onto something with regards to. Um, technology being created not in a vacuum Mm. um, with people sort of necessarily building something or improving something that already exists in a way that considers its uses. And of course, you're never going to foresee every possible use of something like there are bad actors and just creative people who you know find new ways to to use things right and those are uh good you know like sometimes the creative use for something i mean we have a whole culture around that called hacking right right um so it's interesting the way that this conversations kind of dovetailing with our previous conversation about new year's resolutions because what i feel myself sort of uh heading toward is this idea that you have a moral responsibility to um consider the utilitarian aspects of your invention and i mean utilitarian Mm -hmm. in both senses of that term so utilitarian in terms of its literal utility like, is it going to solve a problem better um, or solve a different problem, like you said, in terms of our definition of a technology? Um, but then also utilitarian in the f- philosophical term. Um, so meaning the greatest good for the greatest number of people. 
Right. Right. Is, because it seems I, to me disingenuous. Like I, I, I think that Bacon is really spot on in identifying that like the technology itself is not the problem and indeed like technology as an enabler i think is the correct way to look at it right but at the same time i i I think i like what you were saying before where you need to consider the consequences of your technological invention so like if you are dataless in this story and you recognize that you're building a technology to enable a bad desire, mm-hmm. you should reconsider whether or not you're going to build that. Right. Yeah. Um, I think some years ago, uh, there was a group of scientists who published the genetic sequence of a very lethal strain of the flu from the early 1900s. Okay. And they got a lot of pushback from other scientists saying, what the heck are you doing? Do you know how dangerous this is? Yeah. And they're saying, well, you know, we want to put this out there because people need to be able to study this genome to figure out what about the flu this particular flu made it so dangerous. Hmm. So they have a, they, you know, they have a reason, but other scientists are saying, you know, and I guess this is kind of relevant uh, today, given that people are starting to, you know, be more worried about this coronavirus business. Right. Or it brings to mind, uh, wasn't there a uh, doctor, a researcher, a scientist in China, I want to say it was, who had genetically modified uh, a pair of twins Yes, there was. So I don't. They were resistant to some kind of strain or something. That's yeah. I can't remember exactly what the modification was, but I think he's been disgraced for some reason. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly why. Um, I mean, there are obviously a lot of moral issues around that work, but I think there were some scientific issues as well that came to okay. light later. So maybe maybe that's an outlier. But but the coronavirus being a relevant yeah perfect right. example right so these scientists you know were saying hey people need to be able to study the genome of this flu to be able to figure out why it's so deadly and help prevent future outbreaks but other people were saying yeah but in the meantime if some bad actor got their hands on this you know they could do a lot of damage right um and so you know i think that as a as a technologist, that's the kind of calculus you should be doing in your head all the time. 100%. Like, am I enabling people to do bad things that would have been impossible previously? Yeah. Um, I guess the tricky point there is like there are so many examples of things where like they've been around for a long time and now we can easily enumerate all of the bad uses of them. I mean, the automobile. Sure. Who could have foreseen a hundred some odd years ago that the automobile would, would come to be a um, vehicle that could enable suicide bombers? Right. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. And, and and that's fair. But I think, you know, there are other examples, like, again, taking guns here. And, you know, I've, I've shot guns before. They're pretty fun. Um, but it's hard to see how that technology wasn't invented with one purpose in mind. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I think Daedalus here, uh, the story of Daedalus gives us some examples of like, what do you do once the technology's out of Pandora's box, right? Like mm-hmm. once we have it, how do you deal with it? And the answer, it seems tends to be more technology interesting which is interesting um it's like it it reminds me of the kind of great irony about the fact that we have a lot of apps on our iphones now for meditation yeah yeah because uh, because i hadn't thought of that yeah because we're so distracted by our um phones and constant notifications and things pulling us in different directions that we need some other thing on our distracting phone to help us 
um, meditate. And I'm not making fun of this because I, I am guilty of this. Like I, I oh, totally. use an app in order to like meditate and reflect and try and like be quiet. <laughs> um, I, I think I could imagine a scene in a Wes Anderson movie where there's like a little ding and a character looks down at his phone and it as he's in an engaging conversation or like contemplating the beauty of nature. Yep. And then his phone has like a little message saying like, remember to meditate like, yeah. <laughs> as it reminds him and like right, pulls yeah. him, pulls him out of his out of like his actual contemplation. Yeah. 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 So the moral imperative, so to speak, uh-huh. that comes with creation of a technology. Right. I think we can agree that, people who are starting from scratch and inventing something new right should take that into account yes what are the at least in the short term foreseeable downsides to this and do those outweigh the good uses that i'm going to promote by creating this thing right so in that sense the question about improving the wheelbarrow is well i don't remember what my initial question was but 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 conclusion being affirmative go ahead and keep tinkering or keep building because we're not luddites here we're not trying to say screw all of this stuff we should go back to the horse and buggy Mm -hmm. like of course not um but so then let's consider the other uh, side of that Daedalus example or Daedalus example where it's already out of Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking about social media again to sort of bring that sure. back yeah, into yeah. the fold. Um, at this point, it is immaterial whether Mark Zuckerberg or Jack Dorsey or any of these people who created these platforms, it is immaterial whether they had purely altruistic motives when they were creating this thing. Like, oh, I really just want to connect people or, oh, I just really want to have a centralized feed for news and updates from my friends. Makes sense. Or did they have, you know, more nefarious motives as in I want to make a ton of money and turn this into a very cleverly veiled advertising platform that is mining all of your data and and customizing the internet for advertisers to target you with this, that, and the other. Right. Um, at this point, you know, we can argue until the cows come home about whether or not there was any sort of, um, yeah, ill-gotten um, motivations for building those things. They're already out of Pandora's box. Like, I don't think anyone out there would disagree that something is up with social media. Like, we've gotten to a... Um, point of like reckoning like, yeah and i don't mean to sound so catastrophic but like whether it's you know election interference the world over um or you know like teenage or just people person device addiction um sure there's this point where the tinkering of an already existing technology seems to be kind of continually um chosen and improved upon, and I use that in air quotes because I think it's being improved upon without any considerations for the um, kind of pros and cons. Right. So I think what Bacon would say here is that really the only hope is to try to set up some incentives so that the technologists are encouraged to make the technology in such a way that they do consider the pros and cons for society at large. Right. Because if the incentive structure is set up so that they can screw society and win, then they'll do that. that. Yeah. Um, And I think that, and I think that's sort of the moral of Bacon's story here. There's another one he's written called the new Atlantis where he talks Mm -hmm. about what such a society might look like. It sounds nice. Maybe, um, <laughs> you know, I'll let you, I'll let you read it. Uh, that might and, be a future episode after. Yeah. And tell me what you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I, I agree with you in that it doesn't seem like there's any consideration of, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And so we should try to encourage that kind of consideration. 
Right. And I think for encourage people to do that, you know, in their own personal lives as well. Um, for a long time, you know, I, I carried a dumb phone. Uh, I remember those days. I found it less, a lot less distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, so. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I, I have since gotten rid of almost all social media outlets and I find it a lot less distracting not to toot my own horn, but no. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, so maybe this is a good place to wrap it up. Um, we've been yammering on for long enough. Yeah. And, and, and I feel, um, fairly positive about my tape, my, my, uh, relationship with the wheelbarrow at this point. Yeah. Which is, I'm still, um, mad that Robert Pattinson didn't attempt to use a two-wheeled wheelbarrow because it probably could have made his life easier. But, but he lived let's... in the 1940s and he's dead <laughs> now, anyways. So yes. So, but for those instruments that um, we encourage all of our peers to keep working on, um, scientifically, technologically, um, keep doing those things because progress in and of itself as the word would suggest, is good. Like, maybe there are some things where we need to go back down to the local minimum in order to imagine a greater maximum mm. of things already in use. Maybe there are some exceptions to this rule. Like, maybe it is true that guns just need to be banned from public use. You that know? might be the case. Um, there are exceptions to the rule, and I, I, I don't think we're prepared to come down on one side or the other about that. No, that would be uh, an entire episode on its own. Yeah, yeah, that might be a whole season. Yeah, um, the I think you you said it nicely in conclusion, Peter, that uh, this does apply uh, interpersonally as well. Um, in that, if we are observing our lives and our relationships, there are uh, choices that we get to make each kind of micro interaction that we have. And if there is a kind of tiny, quick calculus you can do in terms of weighing the pros and cons about um, whatever the decision is, it can be as simple as where you go to dinner (laughs) or as big as, you know, what uh, people you choose to spend your time with. The benefits of pausing very briefly and thinking, okay, in terms of my options here, what is going to minimize the potential damage that could come among these choices? Yeah. And I think that's especially important for the people who are like myself, who are working to develop new technologies Yeah, that we keep in mind, you know, like what is the purpose of this thing that we're inventing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that requires a lot of, um, stepping outside of yourself which was a was a refrain a little bit from our previous episode too like mm-hmm. what i find is that self-centered creatures that we are if we are able to take a moment and imagine outcomes beyond our sort of gut desire whether good or bad um imagining those desired outcomes that kind of help out the most people right as opposed to only serve my immediate needs, right, um, is probably going to be the better choice um, in the long run. Which sounds preachy and moralizing, and maybe it is, but I think that's the. Conclusion but that's I've what we are to. on this show. Yeah, preachy and moralizing. Preachy so and remember, moralizing. People, if you have a good hammer, don't use it for bad reasons. All right, should we send? Should we end it there? I think so. Um, if anyone's listening out there, thank you. Uh, you, you withstood our rambling for another hour plus. So congratulations. Um, we'll be back again at some point, uh, with another discussion. And, uh, on that note, I am Tom and I wish that I could either, uh, levitate a few inches off the ground or climb trees really well. And I'm Peter and I wish that I could breathe fire, but only inside of my mouth. And this has been the nature of things. <laughs>